old school, um, as I was thinking about old school when Todd and Cynthia had asked me to prepare a message for today, um, I think about my grandmother's old shag carpet, you know it? You know that stuff came back in style? <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I can remember she had the old shag carpet going up her steps, but um, I kind of grew up in the late 80s and 90s, so old school with me was the skating ring. You remember the fat boy shoelaces? They glow in the darks. Then we're cool, wasn't it? <laughs> I ain't the only one in here that's been skating before. Now. <laughs> I know where y'all hang out. And this old school, you know, I used to have the Michael Jackson jacket. You remember that? It had all the zippers on it? Man, I was bad to the bone. Had the one glove, the sparkly glove, the parachute pants. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was some kind of bad. You remember Eric used to wear the Converse? Not the good ones like you get, but the Converse is about so high. But, but the cool thing was when I was growing up, you wear a Mitch match. It was either you dyed them different or you had two of the different colors. You remember that? Some of y'all remember that. You remember the old Coca-Cola logo shirt? Everybody had to have one of them. Red, white, and red, Coca-Cola. And if you was poor like we were, you got the invitation at the flea market. But everybody knew you. you know. But that's okay. It was all, all fun and games, I guess. I still, I'm still mad about it. But. all the money we had, so we made do. It was just, uh, they didn't have Nintendo or things like that. I, I remember the, the, probably the first type entertainment, that kind of media kind of stuff we had. Do you remember the old Odysseys? They were before Atari. If you were poor, you had an Odyssey. You may, if you was rich, you had an uh, Atari, right? You remember what I'm talking about. I had the keyboard. I'm going way back, but it was just, I can think, you know, old school. I used to ride the wheels off my bike. I mean, I rode it down to, I mean, I wore bicycles out. Um, my mom worked, and so um, if I wanted to go anywhere, man, I rode my bike. <laughs> it wasn't carpooling. It wasn't, you know, calling the neighbors, everybody. I rode my bike, and uh, things. That, I, I can remember when I rode my bike to school. Now they got car seats. You know, I was going through my gate the other day. I had picked the kids up from uh, school, and I was going through my gate in my neighborhood, and I had changed vehicles for some reason, and so I didn't have a pass, so I had to stop by the, uh, I had, and I forgot my pass because I usually just have a sticker and go right in. So when I got to the gate, I realized I didn't have my pass. And, the, um, and I had my two boys in, front, in, in the front seat of the truck, and my daughter was in the, in the uh, extended cab. She had already laid down and went to sleep, actually, after, after school. We got there, and I said, oh, I need a pass. So when I get to the gate, the officer had the nerve to look at me and tell me one of my kids wasn't in the seatbelt. Well, he didn't know there was a whole generation that grew up before him that didn't even have seatbelts. <laughs> and so I really tried to hold my cool and say, okay, okay. If you want me to buckle them up, I will. And I am safety conscious. It's, I just don't get the wrong impression now. I don't get the wrong impression. But I'm talking about old school, right? I can remember when old timers used to tell me, get this now. They used to ride on the fenders 
used to ride on the fenders of the old big Chevrolets, like the 50 models and the 60 models used to ride on the fenders all over the cars just to get to church. I know I'm going way back, but that's old school, right? Sassafras tea. That's old school, right? <laughs> um, today we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of the Old Testament um, writers, um, characters that we see. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah, so if, it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible or um, you just want to look on the screens. But Nehemiah, we're going to introducing the uh, new series of old school. And I, was, I just thought it was fun to think about the old school times. And uh, it's amazing how the, the circle just keeps on spinning around, how things go out of style, but then they come back in style. That's cool, right? And so if you just stay the same, one day you're going to be in style. <laughs> Don't change a thing. One day it's going to be your day. You're going to be in style. Somebody's going to look at you and say, you cool. <laughs> oh, man. I better say something biblical or Todd's going to get upset. Okay. Nehemiah chapter number 6, verse number 3 will be our text, our key verse uh, this morning. And thank you for coming out in this rainy Sunday morning, but uh, appreciate that. All right, verse number three of chapter six. Nehemiah, but they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project. Or I am carrying on a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Why should the work stop and leave it and go down to you? I am carrying on a great work. Nehemiah continues the history of the Jews who returned from the exile of Babylon. Nehemiah gave up his job as a cupbearer to King Xerxes, the Persian king, to become governor of Jerusalem. Nehemiah, um, he, he, was, he led the people in repairing the walls of Jerusalem, was Nehemiah's job. And so this morning, just a few ingredients I want to give you, and we'll be done. Just a few ingredients I want to give you about the life that Nehemiah lived. Four, to be exact, ingredients of doing a great work. Doing a great work for God, whether it's for God, community, or corporate, whatever, these three ingredients or four ingredients are going to need to be involved. The first thing we see in the life of Nehemiah was the vision that was involved. We've heard it said that everything rises and falls on leadership. You know why? Because it's the leader's vision. Everything rises and falls on leadership. The reason is because the leader has the vision. And where there is no vision, the people what? They perish. Or they don't follow through or the project or the work does not get done. Look at 
chapter number 2, verses 1 through 5, and I'll, be real, I'll, I'll read this real quick for sake of time. It says, um, in the month of Nason, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had, been sad, I had not been sad in, the present, in his presence before. And he asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not sick? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Listen what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad? When the city where my fathers um, are burned, where my fi- city where my fathers are, burned lies in r- waste and ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king said unto me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered in the king, it, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in your sight, let him, let me, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are, burn, are buried and that I may rebuild it or rebuild the walls around the city. Nehemiah had a vision from God. God had put a passion, a desire, a dream in Nehemiah's heart and Nehemiah felt that calling. Nehemiah saw that vision. Um, for a great work to happen, whether it's Hilton Head Allen Community Church or whether it's your office or whether it's your job, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your parenting, whatever it may be, there must be a vision that God's given you to carry out for you to follow. Uh, let, me exp- let me explain myself. Without the vision, the people perish. Nehemiah had something put in his heart by God to carry out or to fulfill for God's honor and glory. Sometimes I believe we think, God, what is it that you want me to do? And so the vision comes in two parts. First of all, there's a corporate vision. There's a corporate vision, which, uh, which I wrote down. This, is, this, is, this involves our activity, so to speak. Our worshiping God, our serving God, our Bible reading, our praying. This involves just our activity for God. Not only our activity for God or our corporate vision, but there's also a personal vision. This is who we are. You follow me? First, it's what we're doing as a corporate body or as a, um, a group or as a family, what we're doing. But then there's a personal vision of who we are or who we are becoming. You with me? So therefore, a good work to happen or a great work to be fulfilled, whether it's in a family, or employee, employment, a church, no matter where it's at, there must be a vision. You must be doing the right activities, but listen to this, listen to this, you must be becoming the right person. You with me? Okay. It's okay to do this. This is a community church, okay? You can do this. But don't say amen or you will be in trouble. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So there's a corporate vision which involves our activity. There's a personal vision which involves who we are becoming. I can remember when um, I had just graduated college. Um, I know you can't believe that, but... I just graduated college, and I, th- my senior year, the church, um, a church in our town had called me to be there over their student ministry, and um, fresh out of college, uh, just excited, you know, 
just excited to have a job, just excited to be doing what I felt that God wanted me to do. And um, me and my wife, we both come from the same small hometown. We went to the same high school, and and none of our families have left, and we hadn't left. We just stayed there. This is, um, and so we were there, and uh, we decided to build our first little house, and we lived out in the country. It was on kind of a um, hill with a creek at the bottom. And um, needless to say, um, we really didn't have two pennies to rub together, but we needed a place to live. You know, she, she, she wasn't working at the time, um, and I had just got my first job. I remember I was making $433 a week. I still remember that check in 18 cents, I think, in 18 cents. And so we decided we was going to build our first house. You know, we had people in town to help us, um, um, just some family and friends, and uh, we just built something, a little house in the country. And um, I had this old dog. Uh, really, it was my dog was a good dog. He was, uh, uh, I mean, it was like a thoroughbred, AKC registered. I mean, I had, the, I had a good dog. Um, it was one of them gray Weimar runners. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? They're like they're gray. Some it kind of it's kind of a hunting dog, but um, he was a good dog for his genetics. But he was stubborn, and he wouldn't listen. So I built him a fin- I built him a pen down uh, by the creek, and uh, he by the I put him in the pen. This is no lie. This is no lie. I put him in the pen. Nothing else I'm saying is a lie either. But I I don't know why I said that. <laughs> this is really not a lie. Okay. I put, him in, I put him in the pen. By the time I got back to the house, he was sitting in, my, in, sitting in the garage or coming up, coming up my driveway. So I said, oh, I done spent all this money, all this time and effort. You know, I was proud. I'm building a pen, baby. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I, I put it, I, I said, okay. I put him on a cinder block. I put a cinder block in the middle of the pen and chained his uh Chain his, put his chain on the center block so even if he did get to the edge of the pen, he couldn't dig out. Lo and behold, <laughs> I leave, I come back. He is at the house with a cinder block behind, <laughs> on his leash, a cinder block on, the, on his leash. And I could not make him stay. He, he would run. I mean, he'd, he, he'd just run everywhere. He, he'd run out in the yard, run the neighbors, bring the neighbors' shoes back. And they was way, you know, up. And, I mean, just... <laughs> Everywhere you couldn't keep him around. He was a wonder. And so, um, you know, we had just moved in, and a lot of times out where we lived, there was you, there'd be strays that come up, or people had dogs and animals out that way. And um, there was this white and black, looked like a border collie mixed or something. I don't know what it was, but um, he he just wandered up one day, and. And it just it works like that. They, those dogs are the ones you get at the pound. They're the best dogs, you know what? You can't make them leave. I mean, <laughs> I mean they, they want, they, they're yours forever. I mean, they, they just got that bond. They, they just, when they, they bond with you, when they come, they, they don't leave. They just hang out. And I knew, I said, you know what? I got to feed, I got to buy food for me. I got to buy food for my wife. And my dog, we, we don't have any money for an extra dog, so you're going to have to go. And so uh, <laughs> I thought, you know, just uh, comical, okay. Um, I got the dog. I said, okay, up above us, a, a good ways above us, it was this real swanky neighborhood. I mean, real, real nice. You know, people had a lot of money up there. And, you know, uh, they could afford to feed the dog. And so I thought about myself, you know, I, 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 have, I got me a plan, got me a vision. So I, I 
you know, loaded the dog up in the car. And I'm riding through the middle of this swanky neighborhood, trying to find me a good spot to get the dog out. And so I'm on the main road. And the main road's where the big houses are, you understand? <laughs> so I'm on the main road, and I had taken my wife's um, minivan at the time, and so I could just slide the door open and get him out. Well, I'm on the main road, you know, in front of these houses, and the, uh, I, I found me a good place. I throw the door open, and, I, you know, time to get out. And the dog hides in the car, won't get out of the car. And so I'm in the middle of this neighborhood trying to get the dog out the car, finally get the dog out the car, and so I shut the door and try to speed off. He starts chasing the car through the neighborhood. And so I'm slowly, slowly, slowly picking up speed, trying not to, you know, race out the neighborhood. And, you know, he's hot on my trail, so finally I lose him. Finally I lose him, go back home, say, man, I'm glad that's over. Lo and behold, not... I'm talking about he didn't waste no time. He shows back up at the house. I kid you not, shows back up. Never seen a dog, no, have no idea whose dog this is. Don't have any idea why he's such attached to my house. And so I said, okay, okay. This time I load him back up, and there's another nice neighborhood miles up the road. I'm talking about miles. And it's a huge neighborhood, so I go all through the neighborhood, all the way to the back. And I finally, finally found a good spot and let him out. I said, I'm glad that's over. I go back to the house. Time, time goes by. A day goes by. He shows back up at the house. I mean, by this time, I'm thinking, my family's calling me. I'm telling my family about this situation. And my grandfather's like, oh, you better keep that dog. It's an omen. You know, he, you, you better keep him around. It, you know, something, he might be trying to tell you something. He might, you know, something's going on. This is a special dog, you know, like amazing pets. I'm like, he ain't amazing at all. I tell you what, I drop him off at your house if you think it's that good. And so finally, finally, I just took him out in the woods and shot him. I mean, I just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I am just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, you, you can breed now, animal lovers, okay? <laughs> anyway, we went to one of our local baseball games in the middle of town. We dropped him off and never seen him again. So I know he's got a good home. He's okay because a lot of houses are around there. But, but to make a long story short, I said all that to say this. A corporate vision is what we're doing. A personal vision is who we're becoming. I had a passion or a vision. What, we, what I was trying to do is get the dog a new home. When God gives us a vision, when God puts something in our heart, we work towards that. And by working toward that, we be, we're becoming who God wants us to be. Y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Okay. This morning, what's God put in your heart? As a church member, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, as a fiancé, as a grandmother, as a grandfather. Will, let me ask you this. Will the rest of your life be the best of your life? What vision has God given you? Who are you becoming? Number two, for sake of time. 
verse number one, chapter verse number uh, chapter number one, verse number four and five. I'll read it. You can just follow along. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then said, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant of love with those who love and keep his commandments and obey his commandments. Nehemiah said when he got the news that the Jews were in ruin and the town had been burned and the walls had been destroyed, Nehemiah said, I sat down and I wept. We must, to do a good work, we must have, there must be a vision involved. But also to do a good work, there must be value involved. Nehemiah, in his heart, he knew God's reputation was at stake. He knew the way the Jewish people looked and lived and the way the Jewish uh, city of Jerusalem looked. It was a disgrace and it was a dishonor. To his God. He knew, he, he wept because of the Jewish people, but he also wept because of the reputation of Almighty God. There must be value in the job we're doing. We mu- I, I wrote down this. We must recognize the privilege and the responsibility. Whether it's in a marriage, or whether it's parenting, or whether it's in a church, or whether it's in your job, there must be value involved. There must be an ownership, or there must be a a heartfelt thankfulness to God for the opportunity, for the, the privilege, and the responsibility. Yes, as Christians, we're privileged to be saved. But yes, as Christians on the other side, we still have a responsibility. Right? And so Nehemiah said, yes. It's, mm. Nehemiah said, I have a privilege to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I have to check myself a lot of times with the same, the same uh, attitude or the same spirit that Nehemiah had. Because sometimes some of the things we're called on to do or the, some, um, or the responsibilities we have, sometimes we don't take it or we don't see it as a privilege. But we must see it, anything that God asked us to do or anything that we can do for God. Yes, it's our responsibility. We, Paul said, I'm a debtor to God. But it's not only a responsibility, but it's a privilege. This morning, I want you to know if you get to do Anything for God is a privilege. And Nehemiah, oh, was it going to be a great task? Was it going to be hard work? Was it going to be a lot of planning? Was it going to cost a lot of money? You better believe it. It was going to be all of them. But Nehemiah counted it as a privilege to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It was valuable to Nehemiah, God's reputation. I put, if we are ever going to do anything great in life for God or just or not for God it must have value to us or it must mean something to us when I played ball growing up it was my life and 
it meant so much. It, it meant so much to me. I mean, I was I was taking batting practice. I was taking infield. I, you know, I, I was I was running sprints. I was uh, I was calling plays. You know, all the above because it meant something to me. It was personal to me. And if you if it's if if you ever or we're going to ever do a great work for God, it must have some value to us. Do you recognize this morning that you have a, a privilege this morning and a responsibility? Number three, for sake of time. Um, chapter number two, verse number three. He said, I was very much afraid. He said, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. I want you to see he was very vulnerable. Nehemiah, and, and a lot of times, I, I'll tell you, this, this is um, something that I have to work on personally, and I, um, it's a lot of our traits, that sometimes um, in order to do a great work or to fulfill something God wants us to accomplish, we must take off. We must take off the mask. We must take off the facade. And we must become real. God gave me this last night and I wrote it down. God has a plan for you. He made you special, one of a kind, original. God only makes originals, not copycats. God made you for a plan and a purpose. He does not have a plan for the person you pretend to be just for yourself. For us to do a great work, just like in Nehemiah's day, Nehemiah, for him coming into the king's presence, sad. And him, for him coming into the king's presence like he was, he said he was very afraid because there was consequences. And sometimes... For us to take off the mask, for us to be real with God, and for us to be real with ourselves or real with others who we have to at the time, sometimes it's very uncomfortable. And it's, it's very nerve-wracking. It is like Nehemiah says. It, sometimes we are afraid. But for the great work to go through, for the walls to be built, Nehemiah had to be real with the king. He had to be honest. And so there's going to be some times we're going to have to be vulnerable. We're going to have to let somebody in. We're going to have to explain ourselves or express ourselves. We'll have to let down the guard. And there is. It is scary because there is a, there, there is a, a chance that we may be hurt. Or there's a chance that we may be laughed at or made fun of. Whatever. But the risk is worth the reward. Right? The risk is worth the reward. I can remember talking about being vulnerable. Um, our neighbor, he was a handyman. I, I couldn't stand him. You know what? I mean, he could do all kind of, I'm just kidding, he's my friend. But I couldn't stand his ability. Um, he lived through the woods, and he had two boys about our boy's age. And... Um, 
I, he, he started one day building this elaborate treehouse. I mean, it had real windows, tin roof. Um, I mean, it was just all out. I mean, if him and his wife would have got sideways, he could have went out there and slept in it. That's how good it was. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, you know what? I mean, he's a good dad. He's out there building, his, you know, building a treehouse for these kids. And you know, I went over there and helped him just kind of spying on him, see what he's doing. See what's going. See what's going on. He was like one of these Tim the Tool Man Taylor dudes. I mean, he could do anything. And uh, I mean, I tried to, but I just wasn't blessed with the same talent he was. And so you know what? I'm thinking. Yeah, I got two boys. I'll build my. I'll build them a treehouse, and I'll make it funner than that one. I mean, I show you. And so I, you know, I I got all my wood. It was all this warp wood compared to his all bent up. And so. I, I, next thing I know, I'm trying to build a treehouse for the kids. I got the bottom floor. I, I wrapped it around the trees, you know, made a real cool ladder for them to go up, just, just going all out. Well, I'm in the middle of it, and it just, I can't figure out how I'm going to do it, and things begin to start falling off. I mean, the boards, my nails wasn't going into the trees long enough, and, you know, he's got these big eye bolts screwing his into the tree, like, wah. I mean, everybody's like, and, I, you know, I got these little 16s. And uh, he's, I, you know, I get the bottom set up, and the kids, you know, they're all excited. They're out there helping Daddy. Man, we're going to build a treehouse to heaven, you know, the Tower of Babel. Here we go. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm getting it all set up, and things just, just are not going right, you know. And, and my wife, you know, she's always, oh, you're doing a great job, you know. Oh, you know, you, you love the kids so much. I'm so thankful you're going out there and building stuff. And, I'm, you know, by this time, I'm like, this is a disaster. This is a disaster. <laughs> I mean, you know, the treehouse is falling apart. I'm just, you know what, guys? Y'all go play in the neighbor's treehouse because ours ain't. And for me, for me to even try this or even tempt this, I had to really open up or be vulnerable, so to speak, for my neighbor to make fun of me, my wife and kids make fun of me, and just to show them that daddy can't build a treehouse. He's a failure, you know? And so there's times... But you know what happened? Let me tell you what happened. Through all of that, they realized their daddy tried. They realized their daddy loved him. I failed. But even just given the opportunity to open up and be honest, there was something good that came out of it. They, they, they could tell that they were cared about, even though they had to play in the neighbor's treehouse. <laughs> Number four, and I'm closing. Number four. Chapter number 2, verse 18 says this. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said unto me. Listen what they said. They replied. The men replied. The people replied. Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Or in other translation said, they said, let us rise and build. So we're going to see... We must have a vision, must be involved. There must be value. We must be vulnerable. Let me ask you this before we move on to three. Is there something that you need to open up about? Is there something that we need to take the mask off and get some help, get past it, be honest? And then number four, there were volunteers involved. There were volunteers involved. And this really encouraged me. Listen to what I wrote. We are not 
alone in this journey. I'm glad. Because sometimes I get lonely. I want people around me. We're not alone in this journey. God has put a, in place a support system called family, friends, co-workers, mates, and the church. There were volunteers involved. This is the moral of the story. God is and wants to use you. Will you let him? Will you volunteer? God wants to. He is. But will you let him? And I'll close with this. Um, when I was... How much time we got, guys? Five minutes. Okay. I'll close quick. I'll close real quick. Um, talking about volunteers, I can remember. When my pastor, the church I was serving at, um, the second church I was serving at, um, my pastor, he, had, he was going out of town. I told him, I said, you know, like being the, the associate pastor, being the good man, trying to do the right thing. I told him, okay, um, when you're gone, I'm going to take care of your yard. I'm, I'm going to make sure I cut your yard <laughs> when you're gone so, uh, you know, it won't look bad. We, he lived on some acres. We lived on some acres. And, um, and so it was a big task, but I told him I'd do it. I just basically volunteered, you know, to get brownie points or to get rewards in heaven and uh, to be a good man, right? <laughs> well, at the time, I had sold my truck. And we lived on a country road, but it was real curvy. And it was actually one of the most deadliest roads in our region or in the south um, documented. And it was, it was a very dangerous road. And... But the thing about it, his house was too far for me to ride my um, riding lawnmower over to his house because you realize riding lawnmowers are not built for speed. You do know that. I know they race them on different shows, but this one is not built for speed, right? Okay, domestic riding lawnmower, Home Depot, Lowe's, that's it, all right? And so I'm thinking, you know, if I'd try to ride my riding lawnmower all the way over to his house to cut his grass... Um, it's going to take forever. I mean, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be too hard to do that. And I had sold my truck, and so we was in between uh, getting another vehicle. And so the only thing we had was my wife's Toyota Sienna minivan. And I'm thinking, you know, how am I going to do this? You cannot put a riding lawnmower in a minivan. You understand? I mean, I don't care if the seats lay down. It'll tear it up. I don't care what the commercials say. It's a lie, okay? You can't do it. And so I thought, you know what? What am I going to do? And so I got, me and Terry, we're adventurous. We'll, we'll try some, some crazy stuff. I mean, um, so I said, okay, I'll get a rope, and I'm going to get you, Terry. I'm going to get you to pull me, honey, over there to his house. <laughs> and so I can uh, cut his grass, you know, because I'm volunteering, so to speak. I volunteered to get in the game, <laughs> you know. I, wanted to, I had a vision of cutting his grass. It meant something to me. And so... I'm tightening the rope. The kids in the back of the van, they're looking at Daddy. I mean, they're just wide-eyed. They go, wow, boy, this is going to be fun. You know, it's going to be like a cartoon, man. And so I said, all right, honey. You know, our driveway's a long, long uh, gravel driveway. She, we're the second house um, on this road. And so when she pulls out of the driveway, she has to get on a uh, just a kind of frontage road type deal. Then she pulls out onto the, like, major, windy back road, <laughs> dangerous road. 
And I'm saying, okay, do not yeah, pull the slack in the rope. Please don't, you know, gun the gas, don't push the gas fast because you're going to throw me off the riding lawnmower. I mean, you're going to flip me off. So she's tightening up the, you know, she's tightening up the rope. I'm back there. It's probably five or six foot long. She's just easing forward. You know, like when you're pulling a skier, you just get the slack out the rope. And um, the kids are back there like, man, what's going to happen? Daddy's on the lawnmower. And um, so we get out of the driveway, um, get onto the front road. So now we're easing. Everything went good. We got the rope tight. We're easing onto the the main highway. (laughs) And um, we're easing onto the main highway. We get straight. I'm behind her. So everything's going good. We just have to ride a little ways on this highway. Well, as we're on this highway... The kids are back there. You know, they're going berserk. And, you know, Tara, she can't hear nothing. And she begins to pick up speed. And to her, I guess she's not going fast. And so she starts going faster. And I'm like, slow down. Well, she just, you know, she keeps continuing increasing speed. I'm saying, slow down. And the kids, they're back there going berserk. Yeah, daddy's riding a lawnmower. You know, everything's going fine. And by this time, I'm getting ticked off. I mean, I'm mad because I'm scared to death. The riding lawnmower is not built for high speed. And, you know, when it starts going faster, the riding lawnmower is like this right here. And so, she, you know, I got this baby in neutral, and she starts picking up speed. And by this time, I'm hollering, slow down, slow down. I mean, I'm, I'm going, I'm scared to death. I really am. And they think it's the funniest thing they've ever seen. I mean, they're the... Right, three kids in the back of the window, and she's just up there just driving like everything's fine. No lawnmower behind the van. <laughs> By this time, I, I, I peek behind me, and a car starts coming. A car's coming up behind me. I said, dear, I'm thinking, dear God, you know, and I, um, if I just make it there without dying, I'm, we're going to do fine. <laughs> Who cares about cutting the grass? I'm just trying to survive. These guys, and, and I'm trying to control the lawnmower, and I'm like, go on by. I'm, I'm trying to get them to go on by. You know, so they're not on my bumper, and I fall off, and they just, boop, it's over. I want them to go by, don't you know? I need you to go by. And God is my witness. These boys in this Jeep, they go by. On up the road, they have stopped pulled off the road taking pictures of me when I'm going by. I'm going by and they're going... I'm scared to death they're taking pictures. Slow down! I kid you not, that was scary. So finally, you know, they're out, they're pulled over on the side of the road taking pictures. So finally, finally, she gets the message and begins to slow down. To make a long story short, I never, ever volunteered to be pulled behind a minivan on a lawnmower at high top speed going down the interstate. We made it to his house. We made it to his house, end up cutting the yard, but to make a long story short, God is looking for some volunteers. <laughs> Will you sign up? Worship team, come, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time this morning. 
I'm so glad, God, that you choose to use sinners like us, God, as imperfect as we are, with all the failures and with everything that we bring to the table, all the baggage. God, somehow, in your awesome power, God, you've, in, you've intervened and got involved in our life. And God, this morning, God, I just pray that you would give us willing hearts to want what you want and to be who you want us to be. I pray you would continue to work in our life, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. God, to make us who you want us to be, to do what you want us to do. And God, I pray, God, we're, God, when we don't have the vision, I pray you'd give it to us. To love our God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves, and you show us how that looks. And God, we'd realize what a privilege and responsibility we have. I'm speaking to me. Thank you for the time you've given us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.